I'm going to preach a kind of um, unusual sermon this morning, I think. And uh, we don't often do this sort of stuff, but every now and again, I think we need to. Um, on the 23rd of June, you're going to be asked this question. Do you want to stay or do you want to leave? Um, a few weeks ago, probably, or months, or maybe a couple of months ago, uh, Dave said to me, Neil, are you going to preach about the EU? And I said, no. And then I got thinking. And I thought, actually, it's a really good question. Not what should you vote, but how do you come to a decision like that? And how do you, and it's kind of like in the context of how do you develop a Christian mind when you've got that sort of decision to make? This is the biggest decision that we will have to make and we have made for a generation. Some of you are old enough to remember the last time we did this, um, 1975, um, when some of you were 50 years old. Um, no, I'm only joking. <laughs> 1975 was the last time you made this decision, and things have moved on, and they co will continue to move on. And we probably won't be asked this question for a number of decades again. And here we are sitting in church, singing songs that have been carefully chosen by Hannah this morning about a God of wonder, a God who puts galaxies in place, the Lord of all creation, the Jesus, the hope of the nation. And how does that fit? Well, one way that Christians sometimes have said is, well, it doesn't fit at all, and you shouldn't even begin to mention something like that in church because it's all about your heart, it's all about personal, it's all about private. And I understand why, but I think they're wrong. I think they're wrong. It's really difficult, isn't it? Because, you know, if you've got to a certain hotels, I don't know if you've ever done this, or you've, you, you probably have got one of these Bibles, a Gideon's Bible. It's like, it's got a list of things at the front that says, are you, you know, unhappy? Are you sad? Are you, do you have a decision to make? And you can, it's almost like you can just go to the answer and it gives you a text. Truth is, it never really gives you the answer. But um, it kind of you, directs you. There's not, there's nowhere in here that if you could just look up European Union would say, this is how you should vote, should this eventuality come. Because actually, that's not how the Bible works, is it? The Bible doesn't actually work by just giving you, it's not an encyclopedia, it's not like Wikipedia, you can just look it up and go, so what's the answer? It kind of forms you in a certain way, it shapes you. Now, for some people, it's really simple. And uh, there's been a whole stack of heat around this conversation, hasn't there? And some of us are just confused. You go, I don't know who to believe. Probably the naffest thing I've seen in doing this is this, by the Christians for Britain. And that awful tagline, be a believer or get left with the remains. For some people, it's like, the, I think they needed more work with their advertising, to be honest. But um, it's kind of like, for some people, it's like, no, if you're a, you know, it's, they tie it up with, if you're really a follower of Jesus, then there's only one way to be. Well, surely there's a better way. And what I want to do is just take a few moments just to ask ourselves, well, how do you, how do you make this sort of decision? And then please understand me. I ain't telling you either what I'm going to do because it can change. And I ain't going to tell you what I think you ought to do. But I'm going to just try and think with you about how... Do we make this sort of decision? And to be honest, it's with a certain amount of trepidation. There's some things when I preach about, I'm kind of like, yeah, I know this is absolutely, do you know what I mean? Because I've got a track record in it. But this one, I'm a little nervous that the door's so far away, to be honest. 
Well, why do you get involved at all? Well, let's start with 1 Peter. Peter writes a letter to Christians who are scattered around a place that we would know as Turkey, and he wants to tell people who want to follow Jesus how do you live? So he starts the first uh, chapter and a half thinking about being a Christian, what it means to have a Christian identity. And then very quickly, when he starts to work out what does it mean to actually live as a Christian, one of the things he wants to talk to you about is being a citizen. This is very interesting because in many of our churches, we don't really think about that sort of thing. And for some of you, even now, the thought of the next 20 minutes being about the European Union, you're going, I could have been watching the 10K. Do you know what I mean? Because it's like, oh, I just want to switch off. No, hang on a minute. When Peter writes to new believers, the first thing he says is actually, as a follower of Jesus, you have to... Submit yourselves to the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. And you want to go, well, so far so good. It seems like Peter is saying, just go with the status quo. But actually, Peter remembers that 20 years ago, one of those governors was Pontius Pilate, who put Jesus to death. And... Peter knows that every time you say Jesus is Lord, you're saying something about Caesar. Caesar is not Lord, Jesus is Lord. And so he's kind of going to have to work this out quite carefully. How do you live as a follower of Jesus in today's world? It's by God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people. Don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. In other words, your primary responsibility is to God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honour the emperor. And in time, this emperor is going to begin to become increasingly the emperor who persecutes you. Uh, It's kind of interesting, isn't it, that Peter doesn't say what some of us would say is just, you know, either ignore them or overthrow them or he goes, actually, let's get this sorted out. And that's why I put it in red. Show proper respect to everyone and love the family of believers. There's a sort of the parallel. Proper respect to everyone, but be firmly committed to the family of believers because they're your primary family. It's kind of like what we did this morning with Samuel. Primary relationship, one another. Because together we are the gathered people of God. The identity of Jesus creates a new family relationship. We belong to one another. So whether you come from Eritrea or whether you come from Bournemouth, and there's a couple in who are visiting us this morning from Bournemouth. It may be a prophetic word, folks, I'm not sure. But um, the, you know, wherever you come from, actually you find yourselves in a new context where you begin to recognise that we've got a relationship with one another. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honour the emperor. There's the next balancing words. So who do you really fear? Not the emperor. I want to be right with God, but I've got to honour the emperor, even when the emperor does things that you would not necessarily agree. So for Peter and the New Testament, we could do this in lots of different places, but the New Testament, really clear. Actually, This idea of coming and singing in church this morning is not to escape the world in which you live. And it's not about just a privatised faith, but it's actually that you might think differently about all of the authorities that are around you. 
that you might actually see yourself differently in relationship to everybody else. Well, how are you going to make the decision? It's probably going to be based around three things, isn't it? About our identity, people who want us to um, come out of the UU talk about us being British, having a British identity, and therefore you've got to leave. But of course, what does it mean to be British? Well, does it feel the same if you're English or Scottish? Do you see yourself slightly differently? Probably. And Welsh and Northern Irish? Probably. It's not one fixed thing. And then people say, no, you've got to stay, because our identity is part of Europe. And every now and again, you remind yourself, don't you, how other people see you? Years ago, um, I went to do something in, I, can't remember, I think it was Italy, and I said, and I, I was quite young, and I said, this is my first time speaking, preaching in Europe, and they all laughed. That's before I even began. They all laughed. And I went, why? And I kind of, I did, I said, why are you laughing? They said, you've been in Europe all the time. And I went, yeah, but uh, how are you seen? We might see ourselves differently, but they see the similarities. Well, you'll have to work out, won't you? Identity. Is it important to have your separate identity or is it important to actually see yourself as part of this bigger European project? There'll be a question about freedom. Do you leave to be your own nation state or do you stay and enjoy the freedom of movement and goods and people? It's kind of interesting, isn't it, that when we talk about freedom of movement, people get very uptight about immigration. But then we've got lots of people who are British and live in Spain. We don't mean that, of course. <laughs> so it's kind of like about freedom. Do you, do you want the freedom of movement or do you want um, just the freedom to be a, a nation state? And then the final thing is about risk. What would happen? And this is the most difficult thing, isn't it? Because to be honest, no one knows. No one knows. Who would have guessed that communism would have fallen nearly 30 years ago? Who would have guessed that now the big fear is Islamic State? Who would have guessed that even 10 years ago? Who would have guessed that the banking system would have collapsed nearly to the point where it brought us all down? Who would have guessed that? Who would have guessed that the rise of the internet would change life for all of us. Who would have guessed that? None of us. Risk. Well, there's risk always, there's risk. And I guess the, the answers to those questions will help us decide what should we do. So now, because I want us to be shaped by the Bible, though, I kind of want to say it's not enough just for me to go and listen to the different political parties. And I, I need, I need some other format to think that through. Because otherwise, I'm almost taking my Jesus mind out and just going, well, I'll vote in the same way as I would if I weren't a follower of Jesus. And how do I do that? Well... When I was thinking about it, and I thought a lot about it, to be honest, and, I'm, and doing various bits of bobs of reading, the thing I came down to was a moment where in the early church, the early church had a decision to make, and they could not work out what to do next. 
They couldn't work out what way to go next, and they couldn't work out what God really wanted them to do next. And there were some people who were for one decision and some people for another decision. And all of them were together working out, well, what do we do in a situation like this? The event is found in Acts chapter 15, and the event is called the Council of Jerusalem. Now, do you remember last week we, we did Pentecost and we sent Mary away? By the way, at 25 past 10, I thought she'd taken most of you with her because there was nobody here. But anyway, do you remember we talked about Pentecost and we talked about this idea that the Spirit is going to be the one that sends people all over and from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. Well, in the earliest of church, earliest of, uh, days of the church, one of the things that they really struggled with was this idea because nobody at that time would have thought God didn't want to do something for Jewish people. But what they really struggled with was, what about people who are non-Jewish, the Gentiles? What's God got to do with them? And God was ahead of them. That's the amazing thing. So God was seeing these people saved, and then the church has to make a decision. So what should we do with them? So you've got a story going on, and Hopefully I'm going to use the story in a way that's appropriate, but let's just go with the story. So when they got together in Acts chapter 15, and if you've got a Bible and you want to, you might just want to follow it through with me. So the big deal was, what do you do with the Gentiles and what do you make them do? And in verses 1 to 11, you've got a whole scenario where they're arguing together. The church is arguing. It's, it's always um, of interest to me that really early on, you don't get Luke telling the story of church where it's always perfect. They're trying to discern what God's doing on, and they argue together about what, what way are we going to go next. And in verse 12... The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. And when they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon's described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. So you're in a situation and the first thing that happens is they're hearing the stories of their own experience. They're saying, this is what we've seen. This is what we've experienced. This is what we believe God has been doing out there amongst his people. And then the next verse is the words, James, kind of like chairman, really. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it's written. Then what he does, he quotes... Um, from Amos. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I'll restore it, that the rest of humanity may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things, things known from long ago. So the first thing, so they tell their story and then they read scripture and then they get close to making a decision. It's my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. The first thing, what have we experienced? The second thing, what's the, what do we think the Bible's saying? The third thing, what makes it really easy for other people to encounter God? 
And then the fourth thing, instead we should write to them telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. That's what we should tell them to do. Now, there's some things there that kind of like all of them, like sexual immorality, that was like all followers of Jesus. Keep yourself holy in that sense. But there's other things that made it possible for the church to continue, and, and that's why they had the food, uh, the, the sort of the minimal food uh, laws there. Because actually, if Jewish and uh, Gentile believers were to be together, then they would want to think about that so they're going to offend each other. So what are the four things? In a context where they didn't know what to do next, what's your experience? What do you think the Bible says? What's going to make it easy for other people to continue to turn to God? And so what are you going to do? What's the practical arrangement? And my question is, does this help us? So you're going to be asked in a month's time, and you will. You don't have to answer. That's the problem in our country, isn't it? The problem in our country is you can stick your head in the sand and not answer. But I think as a believer in Jesus who wants to pray that God's will might be done, we ought to actually take part in this. Not answering, I don't think, is really a big option for us. So they're going to ask you, what do you think we should do? And maybe one of the things you might want to think about is, well, what's your experience been? And you go, well, I don't know. <laughs> And it's only a slice. Of course it's only a thin slice. Of course it's not everything. And of course you don't know everything. And of course you don't know everything that goes on behind the scenes. But what's your experience of life at the moment? What's your story? What have you seen? What have you benefited from? What are your biggest fears? And all those sorts of questions that people want to speak to us about. My concern, by the way, is that often politicians, and perhaps particularly the media, they stoke up our fear. And as followers of Jesus, we want to put our hands up and go, we're not actually frightened because ultimately our destiny is not in the hand of any politician. However, we will make a decision. What's your experience been? What have you benefited from by being part of the European Union? What have you lost? And that might begin to help. And then... This is the difficult thing now. Is, does scripture help us? Well, I could go on a long time about this, as some of you can witness. But the Bible says loads about what it means to be a nation state. There's just five at random. Not at random, but just five, really. Genesis 10 to 11, those are the chapters that talk about how God enabled and allowed nations to come up. And in a sense, what Genesis 10 and 11 are answering is, how come you speak English and those people over in China speak Mandarin? <laughs> it's answering that question. How come in China, when they speak Mandarin, they eat with chopsticks and you eat with a knife and fork? How come in China, and I'm now just beyond my limit of understanding about cultural China and regretting using China as an example, because I know nothing more than I'm going to say. Why, when you're in China, are uh, certain of their practices, certain of their welcoming practices, certain of their cultural practices, certain of their cultural expectations, why are they different than yours? Well, Genesis 10 and 11 actually begins to answer some of those questions. 
In Acts 17, when Paul is in Athens talking to people about what it means to worship the God who makes himself known as part of his sermon address, evangelistic talk, says to them, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And he doesn't live in temples built by hands and he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives life to everyone and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. It's kind of an interesting reflection that Paul has. Does God know what it's like to be British? Does God, does that matter to God? Well, Paul thought so, or Greece, or Italy. In Matthew 25, 31 to 46, you have Jesus talking about the end time. And he says, when I'm going to separate the sheep from the goats, and it'll be on the basis of, did you care for the weakest? And the, the interesting setup is this, at the end of time, Jesus will call all the nations to himself and he'll judge nations on how did you treat the weakest? How did you treat those who had no power? And then finally, Romans 13 and Revelation 13. Well, Romans 13 is a passage that talks about God has put authorities in place. Revelation 13 is those authorities have gone absolutely so far from God's original design that they've taken on a life of their own and it's evil. How do you read the New Testament when they've got both in? Well, Romans 13 gives us a reason as to why we live often in very stable times. And Revelation 13 explains why in some cases, in some contexts, Political authorities take on a life that is against everything that is good. Where does corruption flow from? Where does uh, tyranny flow from? Where does segregation and ethnic cleansing, where does it flow from? And Revelation 13 says, we know, and it's not outside of God's hand, but it's there. So you've got two questions. What's your experience and, and what's your understanding of the Bible when you read it? My third question is, what's the best? What's best for the gospel? What's the best outcome for the gospel? Now, no one else who doesn't follow Jesus will vote along this line. But you remember in Acts 15, we don't want to make it difficult for Gentiles to return it to God. What's the best outcome for the gospel here? And you might want to think that through. And then finally, the choice. What will you do? In a created, though fallen world, whatever we choose will not be perfect. In a created, though fallen world, whatever you choose will not be perfect until all is under the Lordship of Jesus. But you've got to make a decision now. Let me sum up what I'm trying to say. How do you vote? How do I vote? Well, the first thing is the obvious thing, really, and you won't be surprised I say it, is whatever you vote, you're not primarily, firstly, British. 
And you're not primarily, firstly, European. Primarily and firstly, you're a follower of Jesus. You belong to a multi-racial, multinational, multi-ethnic kingdom. You're a follower of Jesus. Secondly, God is our refuge. There's a psalm that some of you will know the end of particularly. Let me just read it to you for a moment. It's a political psalm, really. It's a psalm that's dealing with capitals, cities, and dealing with fear. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear way, though the earth give way, and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he's brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. This is the bit you know. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Those of you that have been around church for a long time, you know that verse because that verse is often set to very gentle music. And it's all about, and we all need moments like, oh, it's going to be okay. But let me tell you, when that psalm was written, it wasn't so, oh, bless. It wasn't written as a fridge magnet and it wasn't really designed to have a nice sunset in the background. It was written because actually everywhere's in chaos. So how are you going to stand firm when you're frightened by everything you're going to say? Be still and know that in the midst of this chaos, I'm God. Be still and know that I will be exalted. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And my third final point is that no matter how you vote, whether you vote to stay or whether you vote to go, and of course it'll be like a long process if we do decide to leave, you're never going to stay an islander in your mind. What's the last thing Jesus says to his disciples? All authority in earth and heaven has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations. The moment you sign up for Jesus, he goes, I don't want you to think this small. The moment you sign up for Jesus, Jesus has a global perspective. Now that's got nothing to do with how government happens, but it's got everything to do with how your mind thinks. I think you could vote to stay and still say, I'm a, I'm a, I've got a worldview that's bigger than my island. But you can't vote to stay and say, what I really want to do is get rid of everybody who's not like me. Not as a Christian. Because actually, we belong to a multiracial, multiethnic, multinational kingdom. We're sent across the seas. And sometimes the history of Britain is that we've gone, and increasingly now we receive. You can't stay a small islander. So how are you going to vote? 
Well, we're going to just take a moment and I'm going to ask. No, we're not. <laughs> How will you decide? Because this issue, which is unusual, you know, and don't worry, this is not a series <laughs> All right. about political machinations in Europe. And that, you know. How do you get a church of 30 people? You start with 120 and preach about Europe every week. <laughs> this, is, this is just a moment when you and I will be asked a question and we have to make an answer. But if you answer on the same basis as everybody else, then actually you're not allowing your mind to be shaped by, what does it mean to follow Jesus here? And so we ask ourselves, what's the story? What's our story? What's the Bible? What would make it good for the gospel? And then what will we decide? But in the light of the fact that God is the God of the whole earth, the whole nations, and he sends us to the whole nations. You can't be small islander, no matter what you vote. And whether you think the EU is a good way of governing or one that you wish not to be part of, our hearts and our minds must stay big and not allow ourselves to get small because of the pressure that we face from others. The last thing perhaps is, of course, we, we live in a very different time than the New Testament. In the New Testament, they had no concept that you would be able to shape um, government. And we live in a very different time and we have different responsibilities, therefore. And actually, it could well be that for some of you as well, it's not just about voting. I think we've got this sort of I think we have a requirement to vote. But I think it's, it's more than just voting. I think for some of you, it could well be that what God wants you to go in is actually get really close up and get involved. Glenn's point. To actually, and I know for some of you, you are. And for others of you, you might do. And it's not easy and it's not simple. And it's not black and white. And the, there will always be the, the difficulties of that. But isn't that the case of business? Isn't that the case of education? Isn't that the case of health service? Isn't that the, 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 the reality of all of our lives in whatever sphere we, we choose to serve? It's not black and white. And maybe for some, it's that call to say, actually, I want to get closer to be able to at least make decisions on local level, if not on widened levels. It is easy to be cynical. And I suspect that no politician feels they've got enough power to make everything happen that they want. And so we pray together, asking God for his guidance. Shall we stand together? And perhaps the musicians, you could come back and be ready then to lead us in our next part of our service. But if you can, you're able, why don't you just stand together? Let's pray for our country. Just take a few moments just to marshal your own thoughts. And actually, it's not just about you and your family, but as we've said, it's actually about what, what does, you know, what's going to be best for our nation, what's going to be best for Europe. And how do we enable one another and support one another as we think through the issues? Father God, thank you that the moment you got hold of us, you opened up a new way to yourself. And you opened up uh, new access to a Father who loves us. Thank you that you opened up a new way of hearing from God. 
And thank you that happened when we surrendered to you. But Lord, thank you that when we, you got hold of us, you also gave us a heart and a vision for a whole world, not just for our own household. Lord, forgive us for the times when our vision has been too small. Lord, we want to pray today for our country. We want to pray your blessing upon the United Kingdom. It's a place where we've found home. It's a place where we've been at home. It's a place that we've learned to love, but also been quite frustrated at some of the limitations of the situation we find ourselves in. But Lord, it's a place we believe you love. We want to pray for our country. We want to pray your blessing on our nation. We want it to be a place of blessing where the, the rich do care about the poor. And they don't just get richer at the poor's expense. We want to pray for our cities, for cities and towns, some of which are really struggling because there's kind of like no, no clarity about their own future. And so some towns seem to be dying. Lord, we want to pray blessing economically into the towns and the cities of our country. We want to pray that the economic blessing would mean employment that gives dignity to all. We want to pray for a housing in our own country. Lord, that people might live in ways where they can thrive and where families can feel secure. We want to pray for those who are new to our country, that Lord, we might find ways of enabling them to bed into our own uh, country and be able to contribute back to the whole as they want to. Lord, we want to pray for our nation that we might turn back to you, our only hope, the hope of a generation. We pray for our nation, Lord. And we pray for uh, the European Union. We pray for, and this is difficult for us to imagine, but for those 28 nations, we pray from France all the way down and through places that some of us have been on holiday and we've really enjoyed. Lord, we pray your blessing on Europe. And I pray, Lord, that in a place where historically your gospel was strong, but now it isn't, Lord, I pray that Europe might see a renewal and a revival of, the, of, of Jesus. And I pray for the politicians. I pray for the MEPs. Pray for that whole system, Lord, with all its flaws. I want to pray that you'd give them wisdom to know how to deal with this next phase of life, whatever may happen. And I want to pray, Lord, that you'd guide us as individuals to know how to vote for the common good, but for the good of the kingdom as well. Guide us, we pray, as we make a significant decision. We pray, Lord, that whatever the outcome is, that, Lord, we might be able to deal with it well. I pray that there will not be a fallout of bitterness, but, Lord, just a sense of being able to work together, even if the thing that we personally wanted isn't right. Lord, will you help us as a, as a country? to unite around um, a desire for the good for all. We pray for the Christians involved in the process. We pray for the Christian MPs who struggle because they don't have enough power to see all that they would love. And we pray your blessing upon them in the name of Jesus.
Jesus. Lord, thank you that you are the God of all of the nations. Thank you that you're the God who, who builds, who sees, who grows, who blesses. Lord, may your life flow into our nation states, we pray. In the name of Jesus.